Welcome on in to the Tony Parks Podcast. Thanks so much for being with us here today. I've been wanting to make this a weekly part of what we do on the podcast, and that is having a part of this with a real regular focus on the Utah State Aggies. Now, it's really hard because when hosting shows in the past, uh, they're a great fan base, and you they're very passionate, and you want to talk about their teams. The tough part is they're outnumbered by two other college sports fan bases and then also had to battle with a major pro sports team for coverage and conversation. It's also because they're, they're you know, an hour and a half away. So sometimes it was tough because many media members want to talk more Utah State sports. I was certainly one of them. But when working in sports radio, you would run out of time and then there were so many other pressing stories with a real high number of people that were interested in them. So... It was a really tough battle when it comes to headlines, conversation, all of that. Uh, That's just how it works many times. So this will be a regular part of it, weekly, uh, to have a part of this with Utah State Athletics. Nobody better uh, to lead this off than the quarterback. He's formerly a quarterback there at Utah State, an Aggie for life, Riley Jensen, joining us here on the show. How you been, Riles? Good, Tony. Uh, It's been really exciting to see your podcast take off, to see the, the high level of talent that you're having on your on your shows and really get to spread your wings and kind of doing it the way you want to. It's kind of fun to listen to. Well, thanks, man. No, it, it is a different platform, and there's some real benefits to it many times. Like, you can get more in-depth into some different stories or thoughts, and, and they're not bashing on radio by any means. It's just different, you know, and so having the chance to do this uh, has actually been really, really cool, and and having great people on, uh, like yourself, as a part of that, you and I had the chance to work together for a really long time. We've had great discussions on and off the air about so many different things. Uh, but a lot of people don't know this. Uh, the video I put together of Marv Albert and Bill Walton calling a, a front yard basketball game, that was actually your family. That was your wife who was the rock star on that thing. Look, George Ann's from New York. She's a little hard on the kids. I'm trying to give her lighten up a little bit. But, you know... Every once in a while, she's got to really put them in their place. And when Jack wasn't passing the ball to his sister, that's the kind of stuff that happens in our family, Tony. That's how it works you know, on Team Stenson. <laughs> <laughs> I had a mom who was very similar, uh, and I'm, I'm taking it you did what everybody does. Just get out of the way. Let her get that message across, right? <laughs> you. <laughs> no, no question. Uh, she's a little bit more rough around the edges than me. I love uh, it. <laughs> He's the daughter of a, a New York police policeman. Um, he's going to retire after 30 years in the police force, uh, actually at the end of July. Wow. And um, she she's not afraid to tell me how it is. That's what I'll say <laughs> about George Ann. In a very short number of words, too. Uh, you know, <laughs> New Yorkers very can be... <laughs> very clear and concise. <laughs> has, has Jack learned how to pass yet? That is another big question. Uh, you know, Jack, Jack, he's a natural born scorer. Like the guy, the guy, you know, shooter's going to shoot. The shooter's going to shoot. But my, my, uh, hopefully we'll be able to teach him how to pass if he keeps getting rejected because it's not helping the team, you know. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, no, they're good kids. That was a, that was a fun video. I remember you asked me if we could do it. And I was like, oh, heck yeah. And, uh, it just turned out 
that turned out great. That was a lot of fun. No snack packs here, please. Jack, pass the <laughs> ball. <laughs> Jack, uh, Alexis keeps on saying to me uh, as a result of that, she goes, I once made friends with a moose. And then she'll laugh really, really hard. <laughs> You've been to Glacier National Park. Just, yeah, that's about what would be brought up in a moment like that, you know. <laughs> One point game, 23 seconds left. Um, so. All right, all right. <laughs> You, you've been doing a lot with a, a number of different businesses and uh, sports teams. It especially uh, has to be unique during a time like this. So take me through kind of the latest with Riley Jensen Consulting and, and why it's been so impactful for so many businesses and sports teams. Well, it's just been really fun. As you know, uh, when, I, when I got let go from 12 the zone, I went back to school and got my degree in sports psychology is something that I had always thought about, something I always wanted to do. I just, um, as much as we talk about the hard edges of my wife, um, she was super supportive and said, hey, you need to go do this. I think this is what you were born to do. Mm-hmm. And it was just a really cool opportunity to go to the University of Utah. I was mentored by Dr. Nicole Detling, who was mentored by Dr. Keith Henshin, who uh, was, the, was the sports psychology for the Utah Jazz for over 33 years. So I, yeah, he was one of my professors guy. when I was at Utah. I know him well. Right. Yeah. He's, a, he's a fantastic guy. I'm really proud of the, I guess, the, the sports psychology coaching tree that I belong to. Um, Nicole Detling does amazing things with uh, a, a lot of different athletes. She's worked with different Olympics with the University of Utah Athletics. She does so many good things. And I just kind of spread my wings and decided that I was going to go out on my own and, and really give this a go. And it's been maybe the best decision that I've ever made. I'm currently working with about 15 to 17 at any one time pro World Cup, um, Olympic type level athletes. I have various schools, various teams that I'm working with. And then I work with um, organizations like the Utah Jazz sales team. I work with company called interior works i've worked with different different people at clyde companies which is like geneva rock and some of those places and so not only do i do public speaking type people individually for performance psychology for performance and sports psychology so it's taken me on a path it's been a lot of fun it's been uh, it's been an interesting path and it's just been a really really fun and interesting thing to do i I absolutely love my job, Tony, because every single day I get to help people try and reach their maximum potential. I can't think of a better thing to do every day than that. Oh, that's awesome. And for you doing what you do now, have you ever thought, like, what if you today had a chance to go work with you as a college quarterback, high school quarterback, whatever it was, if you had a chance to work with that version of you What's like the first two things you would want to address or or that you would want that player to know? Well, that's a really good question. Uh, first of all, I tell people all the time, if I could go back and talk to 18-year-old Riley, I think he'd think that I have a really, really cool job. <laughs> I think that the plans that I had when I was 18 were so different from where I'm at right now. But I think he would be like, that exists? Like, that's a job? That's a really cool job, right? <laughs> and then I think the other thing that I would try and help um, an 18-year-old Riley or a 23-year-old Riley when I was starting at Utah State, I'd, 
there'd definitely be um, a whole lesson on controlling the controllables. And we, we overuse that phrase in sports, but I'd really go in-depth about what the controllables are, such as attitude, enthusiasm, gratitude, preparation, your reaction to things. Those sorts of things are completely under your control. Other people, the conditions, the weather conditions, um, coaches, coworkers, all that kind of stuff, they're not under your control. And I try and teach myself to get hyper-focused on those things that I can control. And then I think that I could have used um, what I call a grounding technique, which is, um, and I think this would be a, a really, really good technique for a young Riley Jensen and even a college quarterback Riley Jensen is just basically look around, look at three things that you can see, two things that you can hear, and one thing that you can feel, like the sun on your face, the rain on the on, on your shoulders, whatever it is, something that you can feel. And what that does, and then you follow that up with a deep diaphragmatic breath, so a really deep breath. And what that does is it changes negative thoughts into what we call neutral or productive thinking. Because those, those you can only have one thought in your mind at any one time, meaning um, when you feel like your thoughts are racing, they are racing, but they're only coming through your mind at one at a time. If you can substitute those with three things that you can see, two things that you can hear, one thing that you can feel, those thoughts in and of themselves are pretty innocuous. They're not... They're, they're not dangerous thoughts, and they help you not to think about the pressures that maybe you're thinking about, like, what if I let my teammates down? What if I let my coach down? What if I let the people that I love down? And I think that would have calmed my my soul a little bit. I I love the passion that I played with as a college quarterback and the enthusiasm that I had for the game, but I think sometimes the, the, the counterfeit to that passion and enthusiasm was also um, – a feeling of letting people down when I didn't play well. And I think um, mm-hmm. using that 3 two, one technique could have been very impactful in pressure situations for me. He's Riley Jensen, former quarterback there with Utah State football. He shares a great passion for sports, but also a passion for the mental side of it. Uh, we talked about this special place in your heart for Utah State athletics and, and Utah State football. You played there. Aggie fans okay. used to always pretty much feel the same way now as a fan I always felt like I identified more with Aggie fan because of being a Cubs fan and you're a Cub fan too see as a Cub fan we all felt the same for years and years we knew the team wasn't usually very good we had our traditions that we loved we held on to those Uh, the fans were still bonded and connected we loved our team and even though we had fun with the jokes we also made light about how bad our team was it was kind of uh, part of the camaraderie so I have noticed something very different about the fan base for the first time ever. I feel like there is a segment of the fan base that is saying this past 2019 football season should not be considered acceptable. The standards should be different now, and they shouldn't be uh, blown off the field that many times in the same year. Other fans saying, hey, that seven and six year is fine. It used to be a lot worse. Back off. What are your thoughts about kind of the new expectations and differing viewpoints of that fan base? I, I love I love the new fan base. I love the new thought process. I, it feels good to wear your Utah State sweatshirt around because when you don't play well, um, people take more pot shots at you, right? Like there's there's people. 
people from the University of Utah and BYU who actually respond to tweets and to the Twitter world, which actually means that you're relevant, right? Now, that with that relevance, and, and you know this as a Chicago Cubs fan, like, it's changed. You talk about your team a little bit different. You're a little bit more defensive when somebody tells you that a 7-6 and six team sucks. Mm-hmm. You don't just shrug your shoulders to someone and go, yeah, I mean, we kind of do. You get kind of ticked off. And the expectation is higher than it's ever been. That is great thanks in part to Gary Anderson and to Matt Wells, who's done a great job with our programs. Um, and I like it. I like where the mindset is. I don't think that Utah State fans should be okay with 7-6 and six last year. I don't think they should be okay with the way the defense played last year at certain times. And I don't think Gary Anderson's okay with it. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's his standard either. So, to me, I like the growth and the progression of this fan base into a fan base that has higher expectations. Because if you don't have high expectations, how can you expect to be good? Yeah, You should have them, especially for yourself, right? And when I say yourself, I'm talking about yourself as an Aggie fan. Totally. Yeah, I think I, I was uh, uh, talking with a, a friend of mine who's an Aggie fan. It was in November. And we were talking during the Boise State game. And he's one of these fans now that says, no, I'm, I'm sick and tired of the complacency. I don't want to hear that, oh, this was a good year. We should all be happy. He's like, no, this team should have been better. And I thought, this is actually a great sign for the program. This is a good thing, like you say. Um, so one characteristic about the team this past season, though, Riley, that was eye-opening to me, and I want to get your thoughts on this, is that when something was bad defensively, it didn't just get worse. It became atrocious. The LSU game was understandable because that was an all-time team. But the Air Force game, the BYU game, the Boise State game, and then the bowl game were all very glaring to me. How, how much are you concerned after what we watched last year in that area? Well, there was a couple of things to it. Number one, I do think that there was a lot of injuries after the LSU game and a little bit of psychological warfare that happened by getting beat down that bad by LSU. And you have to understand, when Utah State played LSU, they weren't the national champion and they weren't one of the best teams that ever played in the history of college football. They were a good SEC team that you felt like you could go in and maybe play like you did against Auburn a few years back when, when Gary was the coach there. Or compete and show out well and not get completely decimated physically in that game. But I think it played a little bit of a mental mind trick. And then I also think when when Woody went down at that middle linebacker position, it was really, really revealing how impactful he was to that team. And also a little bit disappointing in knowing that there wasn't a lot of depth on the team. I think that was that was embarrassing to me. That that, that you could come into this program and and realize how many warts that Woody was covering up with all the tackles that he was making right. and all the things that he was doing to get them into the right position to make a play, to realize that when he was gone, the things could go that bad with the depth was disconcerting to me because one of the things I've been proud of of Utah State over the past little while is that when they walk off the bus, they look like a D1 team now. They look athletic. They look like a team that can play fast and that can play physical. That, that wasn't always true when I was playing. There was the last 25 guys getting off the bus looked like, dude, where did you get that guy from? 
You, you know, like, is he really a Division One player or is he just a body? And I think in some ways it was just a body. And uh, we can't go back to that, right? We can't. We, we, that, that's just not an acceptable way to go. I think if you were to talk to Gary or you were to talk to any of the coaches up there, they, they feel the same way. So I don't feel like I'm disparaging the coaches or the team. I think they know that they need to get better in some of those positions. But they know that they've got to fix that. And we, we can't just be a one-man show on defense or a one-man show on offense. I mean, I, listen, last year's offense with Jordan Love, and I know he just signed a $12 million contract. He ought to be thanking everybody in the history of his life for that $12 million contract because he almost gave it all away this year. And, uh, I, you know, I'm happy for him. I'm really happy for him, but he's got he's to gotta fix a lot of things on that next level to be able to get to where he wants to be. What did you see? Uh, mostly from him because like uh, Josh Allen, let's say, right, when he ended up being a pretty high draft pick but didn't have a sensational year, if I remember right, his last year at Wyoming. And then people wanted yeah. to see more out of Jordan Love in terms of performance level. But what were you seeing that scouts saw positively? And then what were you examining from Jordan Love that made you go, yeah, that guy's got some work to do for the next level? Well, first of all, his junior year was unbelievable. Right. It was so fun to watch. It was fun. And so I think, a lot of people seeing that as his upside, it, it was hard to shake that for some of them. Also, when you stand next to him, this is an enormous human being. I mean, he's six four. He weighs two twenty five. This is a this is a person who can sling the ball. I mean, there was even some comparisons made to Patrick Mahomes during the draft, and I was like, "Are you serious right now?" I mean, that's a serious serious comparison for arm strength, and I just I didn't it that way but there was coaches that were saying that and so those two things just kind of never left the minds of these pro scouts but I think the thing that was 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 scary for me is when he got in the offense um, under Stanford this year there was a lot more places where he had to read a defender or where he had to um, make sure that he was reading the flat defender and throwing to the guy as a result of what that flat defender did, and he struggled a little bit. And I feel like pro offenses do that a lot. And I, and then as he struggled a little bit, I saw him press quite a bit. And so I, um, when I saw him pressing, it kept getting worse and kept getting worse and kept getting worse. And that was disconcerting to me because I really felt like it was one of those things where pro scouts were coming through and where people were talking to him, and every week he was like, oh, "I got to play better because I want to get drafted." God, I got to do this. And then there was just this kind of behind the eight ball, always trying to catch up with the performance that he thought he should have. Hmm. And that's where I thought it got into dangerous areas because there were some interceptions last year that were just real head scratchers, Tony. Where the first guy intercepted it, and if he hadn't intercepted it, it would have been the next guy or the next guy that would have intercepted it. There was so much traffic there. Wow. And so, so the dangerous throws then come from trying to explain that to me, the catching up to the level of performance you thought you should have had. Correct. Wow. Correct. And that lag, that lag can be dangerous because then you start pressing, then you start getting tunnel vision, and uh, that's the worst thing that can happen to a quarterback, if that makes sense. Well, and then you start losing track of the game, right? You start losing track right. of, yeah, the, the whole purpose of being yep. out there. Oh, that's interesting. Right. Uh, Well, I want to go back to a little bit of that from the team concept, too. Kevin White 
said something interesting. He said that this team never recovered after the LSU loss. Now, given that LSU team was one of the absolute best I've ever seen, it might be the best team in my lifetime. Like, it'll be arguably up there. That's how good that team was. But that loss to me is similar to what happened to Utah in 2010 after their loss to TCU, and then what happened to BYU in 93 after they were handled by UCLA. I think it was like 68-14. to 14. How often have you seen teams lose confidence and never get it back when they collectively get handled like that? Well, I think I think sometimes that has to do with the expectation of what your team is. And most teams have higher expectations. Um, they, 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 they try to compete in every single game, but I also think that there's some reality early in the season about who you are and what you are. And so um, that becomes a little bit, uh, you know, if, if you don't feel like you're going to be a great team, my, my thought is, is this team had a lot of emotional energy and a lot of bandwidth put into this new coaching staff and how they were going to do some things differently and that they were going to be able to do some things. And when they got, when they got it handed to them down at LSU, I do think it had a little bit, it messed with their psyche. And then there were some injuries there. Then you go to the next game, you don't play as well. And then it really just kind of got away from them. I mean, I, I felt like the Air Force loss, the BYU loss, some of those losses late in the season were really embarrassing to me as, as an Aggie fan. And I right. and I think that anybody with any sort of pride at all would not appreciate those kind of losses. Right. Like that That was yeah, it was really glaring to me. Did, did you ever play on teams where this happened? Where and and how much of that was a Monday yeah. through Thursday problem? Well, I think it was just a cultural problem. I don't even think it was a, a Monday through Thursday. It was just a, a cultural problem. Mm-hmm. Look at Utah State when I played there my senior year. We were three and eight. It was not very good. We got blown out by Washington on the road. It was ugly. I got sacked eleven times. It was dirty. I got knocked out. Um, but there was a lot of guys at Utah State at that time that were just kind of collecting their paycheck. They were just happy to be on the team, right? There was a few of us that were really ticked off about that, but there wasn't high expectations on that team. So the psyche doesn't get killed when you get beat 53-12 to 12 at Washington when you were never in the game and you never really thought you were going to be in the game. I, For some reason, I was up in, uh, in La La Land a little bit thinking that we would be in that game. When I look back at it, there was a lot of guys who never thought we were going to be in that game. And so that, I don't know that I've been on a team that had high expectations that ever had that happen. To gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah, I see what you're saying. So the bar was already too low anyway. And then it was Correct. Yeah, a cultural Correct. problem. But yeah. Utah State, because the bar is higher now, a loss at LSU like that is a little bit more damaging to the psyche. University of Utah losing to TCU and getting blown out, that was harder on the psyche. BYU, even in the, I can't remember what year it was, where they went to the big house and just got blown out by Michigan. It was Uh, Taysom Hills. 2015, yeah. And they were were ranked going into that game, yeah. Yeah, they had some expectations, right? That just, that really blew their psyche. And I, I don't think that any of those teams really recovered from that, if that makes sense. Yeah, he's Riley Jensen. He's the quarterback talking Utah State football with us here on the Tony Parks podcast. 
Uh, as always, you can follow us uh, on the Utah Podcast Network. Uh, check us out on all forms of social media at Tony Parks 801. And as always, email me, TonyParks801 at gmail.com. Uh, many people have talked about this is the coaching staff uh, to be able to have you know, more of the bounce back here going forward because it wasn't that long ago. Matt Wells had a fall off in the back half of a season, followed it with a three and nine year, then worked their way back to a bowl game the year after. And then before you know it, 11 and two and, and Aggie fans will hang on to that season forever. So this last year's team is not where that three and nine team was by any means. Um, but what do you believe can kind of be what this team already needs that they already have and that can help them have that kind of better season in 20 uh, that could turn around and be different. Well, I think they, I think they have to get that attitude back on the defensive side of the ball. For a while there, at Utah State, they were, they were, they were kind of a mini University of Utah. They were, they were reloading on defense. They were playing a high level of defense, and they were able to just really get after people with man-to-man defenses, mixing up coverages, and doing that kind of stuff. And that, that caused problems with um, coverage. Or, excuse me, that caused problems to offenses as far as understanding what the coverage was and being able to do some of the things that they want. I didn't feel like we had that attitude defensively last year. I, I felt like we were catching everything. In other words, still laying the hit on people, like everything was kind of like mowing us over. It felt like every running back fell forward on us. They, it was never going backwards. And so you got to get that kind of mentality, even if you give up some big plays here and there, but the defense is going to get you some plays and get you some momentum. And then offensively, I feel like we've been a disaster for, you know, certainly last year. And then during that three and nine year, there were some times where, like, things didn't go well offensively until Yost got up to Utah State. Just like to see a little bit more consistent effort on the offensive side of the ball. One of the things that was good about Utah State in both of their 11 and two years over the past 10 is that, not only were they able to throw the ball and throw it around well, but they were able to run the ball efficiently when they needed to, to finish a game. And I think to finish a game, you've got to be able to run the ball. You've got to get yourself into some third and shorts and have some have some plays like power or counter or some sort of a play that you can hang your hat on that you know you can get a third and two and that you can keep the chains moving and keep the clock moving in the fourth quarter. And that's one of the things that I'd like to see out of the offense is yeah, not not just the ability to be able to throw the ball around, but be able to close out games when they're close and be able to like keep keep those chains moving. And they have some good running backs that they can do that with. Yeah, with the current state of the Mountain West, where Boise State is this New Year Six contender every year, as in they're really built very very well, followed by some other really good programs. And I feel like Utah State is in the mix of that. What do you believe are the real expectations of this program? in kind of comparison with their peers in that conference? Well, it's a little bit tough because they're, they're in that mountain conference with Boise State. They're always going to have to go through Boise State. And then their schedule rotates a little bit like the Pac-12 does where they'll have San Diego State. Mm-hmm. They'll have some of those teams, the Fresno State, on the other side of the schedule from time to time. But I feel like they need to win their home games against Boise State, against Fresno State, against San Diego State. And then every once in a while, they got to break through on the road against some of those teams if they want to be where they want to be. If they want to win the conference, they got to figure out a way to get past Boise State. And they certainly got to find a way to become the, the not 
not just number two or three team in the conference, but one and one A with Boise State. Because then they can still go to fun bowl games. They play that Boise game towards the end of the year. And, you know, even if they don't make it to the conference championship game, they're playing in a high-stakes game there that can still send them to a really good bowl game, whether they beat Boise or not. But they've got them to start making sure that they win their home games against San Diego State, Fresno State, Air Force, and, and really start to break through every once in a while on the road there. That's when they have the great teams, when they're able to win on the road against some of those some of those other teams that are kind of right in their peer group, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. When I see them... When I see them lose bad to Air Force, I'm like, uh oh, this isn't gonna be good. Or if I see them lose really bad to you know, they beat San Diego State last year. That was earlier in the year. Um and that that really surprised me. It was a good you know win. I mean? It was a good win. It was a really good win. Um and then but they've gotta they've gotta beat them on the road, they've gotta beat them at home if they wanna be the class and the type of program that they want to be. Yeah, that's my thought. Yeah, I mean they struggled putting a lid on it, but that was a great win against San Diego State. I, I wasn't quite sure they would contend or get to eleven like they did the year before, um, but I definitely didn't see them taking some of the black eye losses that they did, uh, the way that they did, you know, a year ago. And so, yeah, kind of getting back to that mentality and that culture is going to be a very important thing. Um, the, the fan base is incredibly special. I try to remind people of this. I mean, I've I've had a chance to call Utah State games for their basketball program. I mean, their basketball fans are obviously intense and fun. Uh, the chants, the cheers, I love every bit of it. it. It feels the way a college atmosphere should feel. And I think they're also creative and fun with uh, with some of the different traditions they have. And what I also think is great is this, this fan base comes from remembering years that were awful when they weren't very good, but they were still there the whole way. And now that expectation is big encompassing all of it together, Riley, what has been kind of your favorite part about playing there and then still being connected with that program today? Well, when I played there, I played in the John L. Smith era and we went to the humanitarian bowl and we were, we ended up being six and six on the year. We lost to Cincinnati in the humanitarian bowl when John L. was leaving to go to Louisville. Um, And then, so there was a little flash in the pan there. I mean, I have family that grew up and went to school during the Merlin Olsen days, during the Phil Olsen days, touchdown Tony days. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there, was, there was a lot of pride for that team. In fact, my parents talk all the time about how it used to be the Utah State-Utah rivalry on Thanksgiving weekend for years and years and years, all the way up until Lavelle Edwards in, in like the late 70s and the early 80s when they broke off into the whack. And there's a lot of bitterness about that whole WAC movement where they kind of kept Utah State out of it. But once Utah State broke through again with that 11-2 and two year with Chucky e. Keaton, it just really made it fun to wear the sweatshirt around again. And that's not to take anything away from those basketball teams that have been amazing and fun to watch and be around. But it just it gave that pride back, mm-hmm. gave that ability back for me to say to my son, like, look, I played quarterback at Utah State University, and it means something, right? It doesn't just mean like, oh, that's a nice little program you have up there. What I want more than anything, Tony, is for Utah State to 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 really tick people off. I don't want people to say like, oh, we hate BYU, but we really like Utah State. I hate that <laughs> phrase. I hate that phrase. Oh, we hate the University of Utah, but we don't mind Utah State. We like that game. We like that rivalry. No, I want you to hate that rivalry. I want you to be sick of my fan base. I want you to be 
steer that game. And when we get to that point, now I know I'm cooking something good. Right. Uh, Riley, one last thing I wanted to leave you with here. Uh, I did a, um, a podcast on this. I want to get your thoughts on it, being so connected to kind of the social aspect in sports and, and the way it works mentally and all that. We've seen a lot going on with the current climate socially in this country and how it has moved its way into sports. Uh, you're also seeing division that can exist as well. I had a discussion on one of the previous podcasts. I talked about how sports brings us into proximity, but it takes more than that to bring us together. So I feel like the comment sports brings us together, which we've heard all the time, it makes a flawed assumption that as long as we're in the same place cheering for the same thing, that we're somehow bonded in bigger ways that impact change. Now, while it's possible that can happen, I believe it takes the things like character, love, compassion, unselfishness, and all that to truly connect us in the most important ways. From your vantage point, in the way that you understand the team dynamic, the society dynamic, what are your thoughts on kind of how sports can bond us, but it's never a guarantee? Well, I, I think I totally agree with you. I think I, I think you kind of put it out there a little bit the way you think. I think I do think sports brings us together. I don't think it unifies us. And so I, there's there's so much chemistry and so many things that have to come together for you to be unified. I think one of them is going through some battles together and going through some difficult times together. I think that's why I have so many good friends from the sports world and from my teams that I played on. Not necessarily because we won every game and we just kind of like do the glory day thing and talk about how awesome we were, but it's like, man, I can look at you and you can look at me and you can know how difficult that was, what we went through. And um, going through tough things together can galvanize you, whether whether you're African-American, whether you're Hispanic, whether you're white, whatever you are, Polynesian, um, those things can bring you together when you go through difficult times together. It's no different than a marriage, right? Like, Very I much. think the longer I'm married, the more I realize that we're becoming closer and closer because we go through, through things together. And we're able to look at each other and say, hey, you've been through that, I've been through that. That was good for us, right? And it doesn't mean that everything was was all roses and, and no thorns, right? It means there, there were some difficulties and maybe there were some fights. But once you get through it, then you can see, you know, my wife's perspective and African-Americans' perspective. And, and although you may not know exactly how they feel, you can have empathy for that situation. And once empathy gets into the culture, then 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 things come together. Yeah. And I think my whole thought on all of the social unrest that we have right now and the difficulties that we have is only we all just need to be a little bit less offended and we need to be a little bit less offensive. We all need to be a little bit more forgiving of ourselves and a little bit more forgiving of others. And if we can do that, um, I think I think things will start going in the right direction. But I'm personally working on being less offended by situations and being a little bit less offensive in the way that I present situations. I love it. Well said. Well, on that note, my man, this was a lot of fun. I'm excited to have you uh, a part of the prod, uh, a part of the podcast um, a number of times into the future. Uh, more than anything, just great to hear your voice and chat with you, man. I, mean, I miss uh, being around you a lot more often and, and glad to hear that things are good and and uh, it was great to talk some Aggie football today. Yeah, I can't wait, Tony. I can't wait till this fall. Hopefully we're playing a ton of football and talking a ton of football. And good luck to you on this podcast and everything you're doing. You know I'm a big fan. 
always, man. Riley Jensen. Check him out with Riley Jensen Consulting. A great idea for your business, your sports team, whatever it might be. See to it that you go with Riley Jensen Consulting. Uh, He's had great impact on a number of others out there, and he'll be great uh, for your organization as well. Thanks so much to everybody for listening today. This has been the Tony Parks Podcast on the Utah Podcast Network.